The following podcast may contain some adult language. You've been warned. Those of you who got an invite, welcome to Nerd Prom. <laughs> no matter where in the world you are, we're all Nerds International with the hyphen. Welcome to Finding the Narrative, a Genesis RPG podcast. This is a show dedicated to the Genesis role-playing system from Fantasy Flight Games, a show in which we, your hosts, discuss all things Genesis from both a player's and a GM's perspective. I am Tony Fanning, and with me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Chris Holmes. How are you doing, Chris? Hey, I'm doing great, other than the fact that I haven't gamed since we've talked last, (laughs) which kind of sucks because I've normally got... I normally have a few a few sessions a week <laughs> that I get to do, but I was sick yesterday. wasn't play couldn't play Pathfinder. Sorry, guys. Appreciate you guys understanding. And then I think uh, something came up Thursday night, so we didn't do um, what do you call it? We didn't do Star Wars. No, no, yeah, it's the Beyond the Rim. And then Wednesday, you know, my wife. my Star Wars game. Yeah, your Star Wars. I had game. to cancel. Because the yeah. last minute, yeah, yeah, yep, same so. thing. I I didn't get much of gaming in myself. I just had last night the the old pillage people, the Grognard group. We got together, <laughs> and uh, we played uh, fifth level Pathfinder, new adventure. My buddy's running, cool. and that was fun. Yeah, anytime you can game and have fun, that's what it's all about. That's it's right. Cool. Oh, and seeing the same friends I've had for thirty years that helps. <laughs> Dude, I'm jealous. And I know that if I can, I'm still in contact with the guys I gamed with in high school, long time ago. Scott and all you guys, if you guys are out there listening to this, we're gonna have to get together sometime and play. So, do we have any news this week, buddy? Dude, none. none. No news, man. I think we, been... we 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 recorded Tuesday about five days ago, and yeah. our book is on still on the motherfucking boat. Yes, I, know. I dropped the MF word, everybody. It's yeah. still on the boat, darn it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, and if you're wondering out there, folks, why we're uh, recording so close back-to-back, normally we put about two weeks between episodes, uh, Tony's moving soon, so... <laughs> yeah, man, that's good. Um, so I probably won't put, this out for, won't put this out there for another week, but anyways, yeah, it is what it is. So yeah, no other news, no news. Okay, well, that's okay. That's all right. Yeah. We had a nice big listener feedback from uh, from one of our uh, favorite listeners, uh, Stefan Dragonspawn. Oh, yeah. So uh, it's a multi-part question here he had, and I had mm-hmm. multiple answers for him. So let's start off. Uh, it says, hey there, boys. Listening to episode four concerning skills, and I was wondering if it would be appropriate to create a few new skills if the setting calls for it. And so I, I broke that up in my answers, and I'm going to break his question up and kind of answer them individually. Mm-hmm. So the first part, he says, uh, the first one would be safe cracking. Skullduggery could cover most simpler locks, such as car doors, a home's front door, a treasure chest. But for a more serious lock on a safe or a vault, that might call for its own skill set. I've worked for a safe manufacturing company and with a few locksmith smiths 
and as much it's as much a science as as an art. Okay. So my response to that, and Chris kind of agreed with me on all these, but and you feel free to pipe in, buddy. Uh, as as I said in the show, the big key when creating a skill, and that was episode four I'm talking about there, is to ask yourself how often that skill is coming into play. In his example, or in your example, I said, I know it seems to be a question of how different the tasks are, but really it boils down to the similarity and frequency. Opening a lock, no matter what the lock is, is similar, period. Yep. Even, um, if, it's, even if, like you said, Stefan, even if it's open up a car door or a uber tricky safe, you know, it's the same thing. Right. So if your game, and so when I say it's about frequency, if your game is about thieves and spies and you want to emphasize those different uses of skullduggery, you want to break them down into separate categories and maybe have a safe cracking skill so that you have a character that is a safe cracker. If that's your setting, uh, then yeah, it makes sense. But if you're just running a game where it may come up at any time, or maybe even just one scenario out of the five scenarios you're running for an entire campaign, leave it as skullduggery. It's a broad skill. Just make it more difficult. If it's a difficult lock to unlock, then make it difficult. Add in setback dice. Make it automatically upgraded. Yeah. Whatever you got to do to make it seem like a very challenging encounter, you don't need to mess with the skills. Absolutely. Um, and then... Uh, what then differentiates a safe cracker in that type of scenario, in that type of setting, from other rogue types is his choice in talents. That character can choose talents that make the safe cracking portion of skullduggery uh, more of his realm of expertise. And that's where you come into designing talents, which we haven't gotten into yet. Uh, but you can design talents or find talents for your game that will fine tune certain skills and make characters grant them boost dice or give them the ability to remove boost dice based on situational stuff that uh, various uses of a skill. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I and and I think he mentioned that that he didn't even think of using the talents. I hadn't thought about it when I was first reading the um, reading your response either, or even his question. But yeah, pulling in talents could definitely make that a um, a better. Uh, I don't know you know, a better thing to do. Yep. And then the second question he had, the second one would be demolitions, an offshoot of mechanics or a specialty of the knowledge skill. Now we covered this before in a previous episode and we even mentioned it last episode. We were yeah. talking about mechanics. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, mechanics versus devil. I put mechanics versus demolitions is one that comes up often. I like to keep it as a function of the mechanics skill and use the demolitions, demolitionist spec from Edge of the Empire in the Hired Gun career book as a guideline for talents that will make the character more of an EOD specialist. Uh, but that being said, if I was running a military-style campaign where various different types of explosives and their handling become a prominent feature, I could, I could see separating demolitions off into its own skill. Again, mm -hmm. only if you were emphasizing that as part of your campaign and various different people had various different areas of expertise under that one skill. Right. Like mechanics. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the final part is uh, uh, also in Genesis, do these not do the knowledge skills stand 
on its own. Ugh, let me reread that. Also in Genesis, does the knowledge skill stand on its own to cover all stuff for character? If a character, geez, I can't read today. If a character could have learned, but that doesn't fall into one of the other skills, or do you have to be specific about the kind of knowledge it covers, such as knowledge, ancient history, engineering, warfare, and so on, so. And so I kind of took a note from Chris and my previous conversation about knowledge is back during our magic episode. <laughs> uh, knowledge is designed to stay broad for most settings. It's just having a higher difficulty for rare and obscure tidbits is good enough. Um, and that's, you know, if you're running a Weird Wars setting, you don't need a tremendous amount of knowledge. Is you know, if you're running um, a futuristic sci- uh, sci-fi campaign, maybe you want a couple. But uh, however, in settings where some knowledge is forgotten, lost, or forbidden, and in settings where knowledge is sparsely dispersed among the populace, meaning most folks are illiterate peasants. Spreading it off into three to five areas of knowledge is probably better. And also, like Chris and I have said during our magic episode, having separate skills for knowledge arcana, religion, and nature, and lore, is our preferred method. So, Yeah, yeah absolutely. Ditto. <laughs> Ditto on all that. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. Right. And, and that's just, you know, three to five skills of knowledge. You can break it up. And it even suggests mm-hmm. so in the book that you, you know, that that's the first place they suggest you make a skill change, if you're going to make any, is to maybe spread knowledge off into multiple knowledges. Right. Yeah. And like, and like Tony said, it kind of depends on your setting. And, you know, something like a Cthulhu game, where there's a lot of investigation going on, instead of just having everybody make perception rolls all the time you could pull in some of those different skills, um, make them knowledge skills, you know, and have different people in your group specialize in different investigative styles or, or specific knowledge skills for an investigative style game. You know, just spread that around so that everybody has something to do. Yeah, know, just, just don't get too bad to where you got a skill bloat. That's always what you got to watch out for when you're creating skills for your system is skill bloat. You don't want so many skills that people don't have room to spend their uh, XP or their character creation, uh, beginning character creation uh, points. Yep. Because you're just going to have a bunch of skills that people are untrained in. And then everyone's always rolling ability dice for everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that you know, and that that kind of go, goes back to the to the session zero thing where you want to talk to your players about um, and your and your GM or DM <laughs> um, about uh, what kind of campaign you're going to be running. That'll kind of let them know what kind of skills are going to be available, what might be more important than others. Um, you know. So, so don't tell your players you're running an investigative campaign and then put them up against extra planar monsters in the middle of it sure that's (laughs) (laughs) conversation for another day awesome (laughs) well that's pretty much it Stefan, thanks for the question anyone else if you ever want to get a hold of us of course contact information is at the bottom of the show um but we really appreciate the feedback i've also i do want to shout out to um tyler at my local flgs he 
popped in one day while I was in there playing uh, Star Wars Destiny and uh, tapped me on the shoulder and said he's listened to every episode of the show, likes it, and thinks that we have great chemistry. I said, well, Chris and I aren't married, but thanks. <laughs> Though we will be rooming together at Con and the Cobb. So, yeah, we might. it might be a conjugal relationship at that point, but we'll see. It all no. depends on how drunk I get. All right, that just went on the internet. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, come I, I on. Could, I, could, I could edit that out. <laughs> nah. <laughs> All right. For the record, I am not going to have sexual relations with my friend. <laughs> I'll have to play that back for my wife. Just let her know. So he promised, huh? He promised. No. All right. This is, all right. Now it's getting weird. <laughs> we, this is a social encounter um, <laughs> episode, though, right? So. And I almost named it. I almost named it. Let's get socially awkward. <laughs> But instead, what what did I choose for the name of this episode? Words can hurt too, man. <laughs> and you know what? We're going to talk about how they can in our next session. In our next next session. In our next section. Our next part. Honestly, folks, we're, we're just stumbling our way through this. <laughs> <laughs> dude, are we going forward? We're taking steps backwards or forwards? Nah, dude, we're going forward. We're, we're fleeing forward. forward. You always want to flee forward. Well, that's right. right. Remember that. All right. <laughs> All right. On to the next next section. All right. We are back now. The Book of Genesis. This um, session, we are going to talk social skills. And then we're going to talk about social combat and run you through one in this section. So when we talk social skills, I'm looking at page 54 in the book of Genesis here, where they start talking about social skills, and they're laid out just like we talked about last week. Not last week, but last last episode. Um, you know how they have the description, they have the should use this skill if, should not use this skill if, and the social skills we're going to be talking about are what, Tony? Well, uh, charm, coercion, deception, leadership, and negotiation, the big five. That's right, the big five. And they there is a really cool table on page 55, right in kind of the, uh, the sidebar there, table, table one, three dash two, interactions where it gives you the acting skill, whatever social skill you're using, and its opposing skill or defensive skill. And we went over these a couple of these last week um with cool and discipline and um, vigilance being the defensive skills for these so charm which goes off your perception sorry presence Mm -hmm. um is opposed by cool which is presence based as well what's the next one coercion Mm -hmm. which is uh off based off your willpower Mm -hmm. and uh it's opposed by discipline Yep. Then we've got deception, which is cunning based, which is uh, opposed by uh, vigilance. Mm-hmm. And then leadership, which is presence based, uh, and that is opposed by discipline. Again. Yep. And then we have negotiation, which is opposed by no shocker here, negotiation. <laughs> <laughs> so, so charm would be used for. The um, if you wanted to convince somebody to do something for you, 
where you are flattering them, making, you know, nice remarks to them and being charming effectively. You know, if you're likable, you know, you bring those qualities forward. Your character would be bringing those qualities forward. Um, yep. To do that. And coercion is if you're trying to... <laughs> kind of the opposite. <laughs> yeah. It's, you're big and scary and you're trying to make somebody do what you want. That's right. You can put the beat down on them and threaten violence. Yep. That kind of stuff. Yep. And that's your course, intimidation. That's Yep. Yeah, that's your intimidation. And, of course, deception is just that. You know, you're, you, you want to fool somebody by lying to them. You know, you're going to deceive them. You're going to tell a lie. Um, throw out half-truths, fast talk in that way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And leadership is more along the lines of you're trying to convince people to follow a sense of duty, that they are trying to accomplish a common goal through your leadership skill. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, and then negotiation, that would be used, you would want to use that if you are um, giving somebody something and getting something in return. And negotiating what that well, it's basically you're making a deal with them. You're not deceiving them. You're not being charming. You're basically offering something, giving them something, what they want, in order for you to get something in return. Let's haggle. Let's haggle. That's right. Let's <laughs> haggle. So yeah, that's our pretty much our uh, social skills in a nutshell. I mean, there's the what don't you use them for, and pretty much. What you'd use each one individually for is what you wouldn't use the other ones for. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I want to convince somebody, even though I may have a, a nice, a good presence, my character is good looking, as opposed to what I am in real life, um, if I start telling them a lie, I don't want to use, that's not using charm, even though my character is good looking and maybe, you know, not, you know, being all nice and stuff. No, that's just, I'm still deceiving them, telling a lie, so that would be deception instead of charm. So. Right. All right. So, let me see. So then next, what we want to talk about, so those are the skills. What we want to talk about are now the social encounters. How are we using these skills in a social encounter when it comes down to it? Yep. And that whole thing, uh, social encounters or social combat, as they're mm -hmm. called sometimes, uh, starts on page 118, chapter 7. Mm -hmm. uh, it talks about what is a social encounter, um, how it's structured, mm -hmm. uh, when, when and when not to run them, and yep. uh, what skills to use for what. Again, we've already kind of discussed that. Yep. Um, I, I liked what your buddy said, that, that it's basically – Round zero for combat. <laughs> if it happens to degenerate into it, usually does. It usually <laughs> does in my in my group. Yeah, <laughs> they usually walk into a social combat with weapons ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, round zero for sure. Mm -hmm. So, uh, what is a social encounter as far as uh, what it entails? Well, first off, it's less structured, more than anything, than a combat encounter. You know, you're not necessarily going to have 
rounds of combat. You're not necessarily... And you basically, what you want, what it's going to do is you want... It's going to be... You're wanting to get a, a group of people or somebody else to kind of do something for you or convince them to take another path or whatever. And it's more narrative, to be honest. You know. So, I mean? as yeah. Yeah, and as a GM, what you're trying to do, and, and explains this on page 119, that the first thing you want to do is when you structure your social encounter, the first thing you want to do is you want to determine what your goal is for that encounter. What you're, what you want the players to do, whether you're running that Cthulhu-esque investi- investigation, whether you want them to go into a single crime scene and pick up a bunch of clues, yep. that's one encounter, or maybe you want them to kind of do a montage of talking to people throughout town in multiple different locations. Mm-hmm. It's freeform like that. It doesn't have to be all one set location. It can be in multiple places. Just the common goal here, in this case, the Cthulhu-esque investigative game, is to get the clues you need to go to the next section of the adventure. Yeah, and And they gave gave an example here. Um, Anything from a simple goal to a more complex goal. Like a simple goal could be negotiating a price for some vehicle you're going to need or transportation somewhere. To mm-hmm. a very complex goal of getting two feuding crime families to talk to each other, and that's Tony. That's that would be one of those examples where you would want to go to maybe various locations for one crime family, go to the other side of the crime family, but it's more of a narrative kind of feel. Um, you're cutting between these different social scenes, gathering up um, successes and. And those things, and you want to set that, the next thing is to kind of set a start and an end to it. So at one yep. point, you have to de- you have to know as a, as a GM when that goal is accomplished. You know what I mean? Especially in, exactly. those more, especially in that more complex example. Exactly. And uh, you can do so in, if you need it to be a little more structured and you want to do mm-hmm. so in rounds, so to speak. Yep. Um, because, and the reason for that, the reason why you want to maybe enter rounds into it is because there are certain talents and, uh, uh, archetype, uh, abilities yep. that can be used once in an encounter, once per session, once a round, so on and so forth. So because those abilities are in your group, you may want to structure a round-by-round structure so that people can use round-by-round abilities or pass boost dice back and forth based on their uh, advantages and um, threat boost and setback dice. Those things, uh, that's why you would choose a round-by-round and structure, uh, structure. Yep. Uh, but certainly you want – if you had a complex goal and it was, let's say, the getting two crime families to work together, mm-hmm. you may want to do a string of encounters where each encounter is a small encounter so that you can highlight that character that has a, a once-per-encounter ability can use it in each one. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. And it also allows characters to roll to regain strain at the end of each encounter. Yep. So that if they, because one thing that we haven't brought up yet is that how do you 
you know, track mm-hmm. success yeah. in a social encounter. Mm-hmm. And the key way is dealing straight. Mm-hmm. Um, what you would do is you would, for every success you would get on a, in a success or in a social check, you're going to deal that much strain to your opponent. Um, and once your opponent has reached their strain threshold or other narrative ways, which we'll cover here in a second, um, then they become incapacitated or basically they capitulate to your, to what you're wanting. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I mean, and I think when, when we're, when, when we're talking about capitulation, we're talking maybe partial, you know, getting them to kind of agree with you. You would set that threshold as maybe getting half at knocking down half their their strain threshold. You would be just starting to get them to partially capitulate and do what you want them to do. They'd be and willing to compromise at that point. Willing to compromise at that point. Yep, and that might be the goal that you, the end of the encounter right there. Once they hit halfway, and mm-hmm. uh, again, those are things. Those are things that you'll need to um, have ready as a, as a GM. Um, to go on maybe they hit it really quick and you wanted to stretch it out a little bit well maybe you maybe you let them try and go for the full strain threshold at that point you know what i mean mm-hmm. so and then of course what would be you know that's what success is but what would be failure in a social encounter well failure in a social encounter would be you taking strain you know you getting um you making the other party mad and you're taking set or setback dice on your on your next checks right yep yep and you get to the point where you're incapacitated from lack of strain mm-hmm. and again that's not an incapacitated uh, oh you're dead or you're in no. a coma you that's uh, you don't want to fight anymore you don't want to argue you're you're done right you know, either you you just know you've lost the argument at that point mm-hmm. and whenever you it says down here failure um would be no so I think if you fail a roll we're gonna get into some details here. Mm-hmm. But, um, when you fail a roll, you take two strain, don't you? Is that what that is? You or you could take strain equal to the un, number of uncancelled successes if it's more or failure excuse me, the number of failures above and beyond the cancelled successes if it's more than two. Gotcha. Okay. So let's say your net ended up being four failures on a roll. You're you're going to take four string. Yes. But if yeah. it's only one, you're still taking two string from a failed check. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, that's cool. And you know, and there is a um So if you want to um so if I'm just, so is are these um encounters one-on-one or could I affect how would I affect a group of people? Like if I want to go to a street corner, maybe I'm in some sort of gr- grim and dark fantasy setting, and I just and I'm an agitator. I just want to go to the to the square and just start going. Ah, the mayor sucks, and he should be shouldn't be sending our boys to war. Maybe I'm a really old man. <laughs> As I'm saying, <laughs> how would I do that, man? Well, on page one twenty, table one dot seven dash one, difficulties based on group size. Uh, as a GM, you're going to reference this. Um, obviously the, the more people, the more difficult they are to sway to your, Mm -hmm. 
direction. And it also mentions down below that you should feel free to use uh, story points and setback dice based on the crowd's disposition towards you or how unlikely they are to be receptive, period. Correct. Yeah, I mean, if they're, you know, if we go back to my example, more in, in more of a fantasy setting, if I'm a, um, if I'm a dwarf that stands up in the middle of, like, some elven village and goes, Elves suck! They should be in the mines with us! You know? They probably want to throw some setback. <laughs> Maybe an upgrade to that. <laughs> yeah, well, automatic upgrade. Well, you, roll despair, you roll despair, you're taking an arrow. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, so there we go. Back to round zero <laughs> of the combat encounter. Yep, yep. yep. And then also in this section we have... Um, a really handy chart on page 121. Uh, it's two of them, actually. It's 1.7-2 and dash 3, which is spending advantage and triumphs in social encounters and spending threat and despair in social encounters. And these are real handy guidelines to help mm-hmm. GMs and players. Um, what do I do with that extra three advantage that I had at the end of that. How do I use it? What, what, I mean, in combat, Hey, three advantage, I activate a crit. Exactly. But a social encounter, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with that three advantage. Mm-hmm. I could still activate a crit to be honest. Oh, you can. Yes, I can. Oh, and on, and on page 123 in the sidebar says critical remarks. I'm going to activate, I'm going to have a critical remark. Like, oh. If by the way, you know, I can, you know, I could spend that, you know, for advantage, I can spend that triumph to get a critical information or a particularly good, like powerful argument, or maybe it's a, maybe it's a yo mama joke they didn't hear, <laughs> have never heard, you know, <laughs> or right. something along those lines, or a good point, you know, a profound point in the argument, you know what I mean? That's uh, something you can use those, you can use that for, and they're called critical remarks. But there's no critical injury chart for social encounters that you roll percentile dice and determine what cool crit they give them. So what do you do? No, you're just gonna you're just gonna take five strain. Oh, yes. okay. Words hurt. Like yeah, you they said. do. That's right. <laughs> Words can hurt too, man. <laughs> the name of our episode. All right. Well, and then the last section of the social encounter section, this little two-page section here, is really a good nugget. I love this part. Uh, page 123, using motivations in social encounters. So what, are, what were motivations again there, Tony? Let's re- well, refresh this. So during character creation, you're going to have your four motivations, your strength and your flaw and your desire and your fear. Every character has them. Not all NPCs have them, but Correct. some will. And as a t- uh, there's a tip on page 124 telling you as a GM that maybe your minions shouldn't have motivations, but minor characters that are rivals, maybe a strength and a flaw only. Yep. And then your major NPCs, you should give them all four. Yeah. And there's those nothing. Guys, yeah. Those guys that, that they're going to be seen again. You mm-hmm. know, your recurring bad guys. Yep. And it even mentions there's nothing wrong with improvising their motivations on the fly. Oh, yeah. Yep, absolutely. And um, what's really cool about this is you can spend your advantage and your triumph, like we were saying, to either do those critical remarks, but you can mm-hmm. also spend those on learning those strengths and flaws of your opponents 
and pulling on those during the course of the social encounter. Yeah, let's say you don't know what your opponent, your social opponent's uh, flaw is, and say you approach them and you mention their flaw. How would you apply, or you're using it even though you're not knowing it in a negative light? Yep. How would you apply that? Well, and your so your strength and flaws are one level, kind of a minor level of your motivation, but your fear and the do- desires are more of your major kind of a, think of them as a major and minor axis. Um, if you're pulling on somebody's flaw and you don't even know it and you're kind of using it in a wrong way, you're going to be taking a setback die. They suggest increase, you know, increasing or decreasing your chances to make these people happy when you're mm-hmm. talking to them. Um, so if you're pulling on a strength or a flaw in a good way or a bad way, you'll want to use either one boost or one setback die. If you're using it in a bad way, you want to add a setback die to your next check. Okay. And then likewise with the desires and the fears, those mm-hmm. being stronger, if yep. you're using one of those in a positive way, um, whether you're trying to, um, Dis- dissuade their fear or encourage their desire, then you're going to get two boost dice. And if you're, but if you're trying to um, hinder their desire or uh, fuel their fears, then you're going to get setback dice in your check, two of them. Yep. And and then the last part here. Uh, in that whole section, there's a couple examples. Uh, it's a real good, like I said, real good section for GMs. But there's this last little note here: discerning other people's uh, motivations. Chris mentioned it that you can find it on that chart that that's how you would spend some advantage or threat to uh, on those um, finding those things out. However, if your characters decide they want to study their opponent beforehand to maybe figure that out, there's a role you can do. Mm-hmm. You you would have a good suggestion here is ju- your GM could allow them to make an opposed perception versus cool check. And number of successes and advantage would then come into play here. What what do you learn? Exactly. And you would probably want this player or this character to be in the background over the course of maybe a couple of these quote-unquote rounds of your social encounter before they make this check. So they may have been studying them up to the point, and maybe beforehand, maybe they did some work beforehand and you get maybe they get that. Um, that's something too. That's some way of doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you're doing your, um, when you're doing your investigation on these people, um, that's one thing you want to think about as as players here. Um, maybe you want to learn your strengths and desires, or strengths and flaws, or fears of your opponents before you approach them. For instance, as, as preparation to go talk to those crime families, right? As in the example we gave earlier. Well, I'll use an example from my Star Wars game that I run for you guys. Uh, mm-hmm. When you guys went to meet your contact on Coruscant, uh, you wanted to learn out what learn what motivates him before you even left. So somebody yep. ran a slicing check, to ran a background check on the guy, and figure out what he's into, what what he likes, what he doesn't like, what is what is what his desires and flaws are, exactly. and that certain player happened to roll a shitload of triumph. Yes, I did. <laughs> 
<laughs> and you know, to be totally honest with you, completely forgot that that was a social encounter that you were using it like that. It felt mm-hmm. so seamless when you were doing it. It was pretty good. It was really and that's good. just it. You do not have to announce that you're running a social encounter for your players. If you just want to just ask for the roles that you think are appropriate that put them in that situation, oh, yeah. you can run this seamlessly to the point where they don't even notice that they're in a social encounter where strain is being dealt to the enemy and trying – or not the enemy, but the um, the NPC to try and get them to mm-hmm. bend to your will and do things your way. And back and 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 you can as a as a GM, you may want to keep track and know what your players, what your what the characters, the, the PCs thresholds are, strain thresholds are, so you can maybe keep track of that behind the scenes in in mm-hmm. something like this. Now there is a something that we don't have written on here, so I'm going to do kind of a little um, what do we call that? A sidebar? I don't know. Sidebar. Audible. Audible. Yeah, I'm going to call an audible. Um, <laughs> That I was that just popped in my head as we're talking about this. Go there ahead, is man. a um, there is a fine line as a GM, DM, judge, call it what you will. Over the years of, you never want to take control of a player character, of one of your players' characters, right? Mm-hmm. You want to let them know, hey, you know, you need to kind of start capitulating here because you're taking strain. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they may, they may, they may resist. No, I don't agree. My character will never agree to something like that. How would you, how would you handle that, Tony? I know this is a kind of an audible putting you on the spot here, but it was just something that came in my mind. Well, if I mean, is at one point you have to determine whether this is a player motivation or a character motivation. Is the player just not wanting to lose, or? <laughs> Is it the character that's that stubborn? And maybe in that case, you, you've you got that stubborn character that's going to argue until the point of everybody else in the room kind of tells him to shut the hell up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that could be a whole entire episode <laughs> talking about difficult players and how to run a, how to run a, a difficult, when a game kind of gets out of control, that kind of stuff, but... But right, just keep but, in mind. But just keep in mind out there, um, you know, you want to set the tone here and try and you know get buy-in from your players. I think more than anything, it's kind of that, right? Yeah, you. We've all. I mean, you and I have rolled plenty of games over the years, oh, yeah. and we a character. I don't care what uh, d twenty game you're running. Mm-hmm. They roll a one. They know they failed. Okay. Yeah. And they can accept that. You yep. just kind of, kind of got to convince them that when that strain threshold hits zero on your character shit, cheap. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes it is. Yeah. It gets yeah. shit, man. When you're, <laughs> when you're on your character well. sheet. <laughs> yep. When that strain to hold threshold hits zero, you failed. It's like as if rolling a one. Or yep. Whatever, in another yep. D twenty game. And then let them determine. How they failed, you know, if you've got that obstinate player, okay, you failed. Now tell me how you failed. And maybe, maybe they, you got so upset that they just stomped out of the room. Or, you know, maybe they, you know what, this guy has berated me, berated me, berated me. And I, I, back and forth, 
and I lost and I lose my temper and we start combat round one instead of combat round zero. <laughs> There's that. There's that. Whatever works for your situation, for your players, for, for you as a GM, mm-hmm. just, I hate to say it, have an adult conversation. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've had these, and we've had those moments in our games where we're nego- you know, where they're trying to go- negotiate to get a good price of things. And, you know, that's one way, that's one social encounter type there. So, you know, I encourage you to use them because, I don't know, it's fun. It's fun. It's a pretty good, pretty decent system here. Okay. Like, hey, well, we're, we're going to, let's run through a social combat or a social encounter here, dude. Yep. So yep. normally part two of our uh, main section would be where we do the uh, setting the tone for our settings. Mm-hmm. But in this case, uh, we don't run social encounters any different than the book for either of our uh, settings. And I don't think there any, is any reason to do so for any setting. Um, so we've got a new part two. Instead of setting the tone, what is it called? It's called Fight Club. So, so we're going to talk about Fight Club next. <laughs> All right. All right. So in this little section here, uh, we run through an encounter, and uh, we've chosen for me to run Chris, and Chris is going to take the role of several players in the party um, through a social combat encounter or a social encounter. So let's give you a little setup here. Uh, This is in my setting, uh, Hellgate. There is uh, three players in the party, there is a female Templar, a male Kabbalist, which is a wizard type, and a male hunter, which is your government spy type. Uh, these three characters are trying to convince a smuggler who has his own fishing trawler type boat to take them out to a privately owned man-made island where there's supposedly... Um, a secret facility where the demons have caught wind of that has something that they want. And these players need to get out there and stop the demons. Mm-hmm. So we're going to run through the social encounter of trying to convince a smuggler who doesn't want to take his boat out on the water uh, during the daytime because the demons might be out and, and he doesn't have high tech weaponry. He doesn't have magic. Um, he doesn't have the holy word of light behind him to protect him. So Mm -hmm. why would he take his boat out during the daytime uh, to risk his own neck? So in this case, a social brief social encounter. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've got the NPC smuggler is an old Irishman ship captain named Patty. Nice. And, (laughs) and it being, it being like the, Day after St. Patrick's Day has nothing to do with that. Shush. <laughs> <laughs> so old Patty here, <laughs> he smells the fish guts, and he's sitting in his office, or in his um, little, not really an office, it's kind of an uh, under wharf 
hovel he's got mm-hmm. that he hides in. Uh, he's got his boat tied up, but it's covered in debris to look like it's a it's a crashed boat nearby. And okay. uh, so your three characters in your group have been led here by um, a bum you found down the street in a previous social encounter who told you about Patty, who occasionally mm-hmm. will smuggle people out on his boat at night. At night, but we need to go out there during the day. Yep. Alrighty then. Hmm. Let's see. Who's going to take lead on this first? Well, you know what? I'm going to have my female Templar take lead first. Okay. Going to try and charm him. She, um... What would we... What, what would we... So we learned that about the guy. Um... I'm thinking maybe we swing by a... We bring a bottle of booze. For okay. Him. All right. And um, she's gonna kind of lead off with with that and kind of come in, come in here, um, throwing around the Templar charm. So okay. For the light and for the good of the um, for the church, you need to take us out. We we need to we need to go out to this island. There's okay. A, um, there's a uh, threat. That is um, coming. That will that will be coming. That we need to look into and take down. And you need to help us out. So in this case, as your GM, I would probably give you a boost die uh, for the uh, for the uh, bottle of booze because, well, booze is probably pretty rare in the post-apocalyptic world where demons control everything. So fresh food or booze or anything like that is a, a, a commodity that is rare. <laughs> All right. Um, but uh, in this case, I think we'll probably just set all of the skill ratings because I didn't discuss that with you in advance, but maybe everybody has an uh, ability score of three and a one skill rank in the appropriate skill. Sounds good to me. Okay. So uh, in this case, uh, you're trying to charm Patty. Yes. And uh, he has a cool of... One, okay. and cool just happens to be presence-based. So the difficulty for you is going to be three, and one of those is going to be red. Okay, so one red, two purple. Yep. All right. And that, have... that, that indicates because of his three presence and his one rank in cool. Okay. Um, so I didn't learn really anything about a strength or a flaw or a fear or desire quite yet. But I'm taking a taking a I'm trying to bank on the um, that whole bringing in some booze <laughs> with mm-hmm. my boost die that I have there. Yep. So um, and honestly, I'm going to give you made your character very attractive in this situation. She's pretty, very pretty, and right. he's a lonely old man. So I'll give you another blue boost die for that. Oh, there we go. All right. Since you're I, being charming. Well, that should be pretty good to start with. Okay. Okay, I think we're good there. All right. Any setback die, or we're good for me to roll? As of right now, none. No. Nope. Right. Okay. I got... Wow. All right. Cancel. Cancel that. Cancel that. All right. So I got three successes and one advantage okay. on that roll. 
So what do you want to do with your one advantage? First of all, three successes means that you're going to do immediately do three strain to Patty. You've worn him down some. He likes you, and okay. he, he likes the fact that you brought him booze. So that will take his, in this case, Patty being a rival, his mm-hmm. wound threshold, uh, because we're not he doesn't have a separate strain threshold. It's going to take his wound threshold from 12 down to 9. Okay. So, uh, and that doesn't actually mean wounds. He's not going to die from at the end of this encounter. <laughs> it's just yep. that minion groups and rivals don't have a separate strain pool. Okay. Uh, they 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 strain and wounds are dealt to the same pool. Cool. I would like to use that advantage. Taking something off of these charts, I actually like this first thing. I'd like to notice a single important point in this encounter. Okay. Um, Patty has a picture on the wall of his little hovel of him and a little girl. And it looks rather recent. Looks rather recent? Is Mm -hmm. it? Okay. As if Um, it was taken probably before the demons, right before the demons invaded. Ah. So that the child in the picture appears to be eight or nine, probably would only be a few years older than that now. Okay. If they're still alive. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I am going to, um, my hunter spots this. Okay. And he is going to, um, he is going to use the fact that he himself has a daughter that's about the same age, and he notices. He can, you know, we're going to point out the picture in the in the um, in the shack here. And um, well, I know that character's backstory as a GM, so I'm immediately going to go bullshit. You don't have a daughter. That's deception. Exactly, it is. <laughs> <laughs> And he's going to try and, and I'd like to pull on that string a bit and say that, um, and maybe ask about, um, you know, notice the picture on the wall and ask him about, um, you know, who that is. Okay. Well, in this case, uh, you are kind of, I have a motivation written down for the guy, um, and uh, a desire and a, and a flaw. I actually wrote all four for him. In this case, uh, you're hitting on his uh, big fear, and you're hitting it in a positive way. Okay. So you're gonna get you're gonna get two boost dice. You don't know this. I would just normally say you're gonna get two boost dice. Okay. Uh, but that. since we're doing this for the internet to hear, yeah. um, I'm gonna explain that out loud. As GM, normally though, if the players don't know it, you just say, "All right, two boost dice for that." Cool. That sounds good. Yeah, so I'm just gonna keep, keep with, keep on that, um, that path to try and get him to take us out there. It's important that we get out there. I want to get back to my little girl, that kind of stuff, right? And if I do this, then I can get back there. To her. Okay. So this will be going against his. So deception will go against his um, vigilance. Mm-hmm. What does he have for vigilance there? Um. Or willpower. Two, maybe? At least? He has a willpower of two and a vigilance of one, so it's going to be two dice and one of them will be red. Okay. All right. Um, And, you know, I think... um, I'm going to use... I'd like to use a story point, but I want to. I want to try and figure out what, how I can use it. 
to upgrade this. I think by the fact that I'm saying I want to get back to my little girl, that she may be still alive, his may have passed away, I don't know, hits hits it in a heart, in a positive way, you know? Okay. It'll be more effective to it. So I'm going to upgrade that, one of those. All right. And how about you? Do you want to- I'm not doing anything. That's good. I can do anything? Okay. So rolling on the good book of Genesis. <laughs> All righty. Well, then, I've got some blanks. All right. One of the blue dice comes up blank. The red comes up blank. One of my yellow comes up blank. And I actually fail this check, to be honest, with one advantage. So I'm going to take some strain. My hunter is going to take some strain here. You're going to take two strain as Patty immediately gets on the defensive. Hey, don't you be bringing up me daughter. Don't you do that. That's underhanded. I don't care if you got one. Don't you talk about mine. <clears throat> <laughs> okay, so then I think at this point, we'll come. We'll bring. he's kind of on the defensive, bringing up the daughter thing. And I believe you know, and I think the cabalist here. Not sure what the name is. Um, we're we're gonna maybe, you know, Nicholas. Nick. Okay. They call him Nick. Um, he's just basically gonna put his fist down. And he's gonna use now. I don't know. You say that he's got demon grafts on his skin. I think he's yeah. gonna kind of put a fist down that has one of the that has some of the demon grafts on it, and go, hey, look. Whether you're whether he's got a daughter or not, whatever. I mean, we're whatever about about your daughter. We need to get out there now. And he's a, he's a little older. You could probably mm-hmm. call him old man. So I'm gonna put it down there and maybe try and threaten some violence here. Try and okay, coerce him and scare him right. with the demon graphs. All right. Well, if you don't take us out there. Maybe you will look like this, and you know the demon graphs. I don't know how people well, react to that in this setting. So. Well, uh, yeah, a lot of times coercion really works when you emphasize those parts. You found that out in the past. And it does stroke his uh, his uh, desire to see the demons gone in a in a positive light, Um, even though even though you're threatening him. You're threatening him because you need to do this. This is a, something that you have to do because you mentioned mm-hmm. that. So I'm going to go ahead and give you two boost dice there. Cool. But the fear of his daughter being left unattended. Right. Because what you don't know is that his daughter is alive, but she's she's special. Okay. And so he has he is the only person who can take care of her. She can't take care of herself. Um, maybe i spend that advantage i got in the last one to kind of learn that that a little bit a little more so yeah you kind of maybe looked at the picture a little better but either way um mm-hmm. because you're th- you know never mind the daughter the daughter's not important no to him she is i'm going to yep. provide also two setback dice oh, oh crap <laughs> all right and then what is it so he had two for a willpower and what would his discipline? I think it's versus discipline, right? Uh, yeah. Versus discipline. Yep. And in this case, uh, his discipline—he does not have any ranks in, so it's just two purple. 
Okay. So you have your skill roll, which is two green and a yellow, and you have two blue, two black. Two blue, two black, and then two purple. Okay. Yep. Cool. All right. Here we go. We're going to roll this sucker. Okay. We're going to cancel those. Cancel those. All right. Better, better, better. Ooh, pretty good. All right. So I got two successes. Mm-hmm. Three advantage. Okay. On this. And, yeah, on that roll. So that takes his wound threshold from down from nine. It goes down to uh, seven. He's almost at half. You exactly. figure you might be able to get a compromise out of him if you get him to half. Okay. Um, or you can push for the, you're just going to do what we want. Uh, with your three advantage, you have determined. Okay, you hit a nerve with the fact that the daughter thing is yep. very important to him. That yep. is his biggest fear, is losing her, not being mm-hmm. able to take care of her. That is his fear. You're, all three of your characters in your party are going to know that intrinsically now. Gotcha. And just from the picture, you're going to see that now that you've looked at the picture, it's because she has Down syndrome. Okay. That he can't leave her alone. And even though it's been... 10 years since that picture was taken. Mm-hmm. You know, she's 18. She's still not someone he can leave. Correct. Okay. So, so I think what, I think at this point, knowing that now, my um, Templar is going to come back, going to get into mommy mode a little bit since she's, you know, and, and go over to him, put her hand on her, put, put her hand on his, on his shoulder and go look. I'm going to send over, I'm going to call back to the temple. I'm going to send a couple people over to get your, to get your daughter, take her back to the temple. She'll okay. be protected. She'll be okay. She'll be watched over while you take us out here. We have to get this done. We have to do this. Okay. Come on, Patty. All Let's right, so this. a charm, another yeah. charm roll, which is going to be two purple and a red. And I'm going to, and I'm going to flip over a story point. To, oh, to, to to increase to increase it for just that reason there are there will be people come over to take his daughter or whatever right okay right that's the story that's I'm using the story point for that all right right and honestly I think the the three advantage it was just two to really get key into that I think you're probably going to get a free boost die just because of your your for previous for the previous role the scare tactic from the the Kabbalists. Okay. yep yep um. Now, because you're using his fear in a positive light, um, you're going to go ahead and get two more blue dice. And you've kind of hit on another one of his uh, his things, and that is his his strength. His strength is that he is a – he's he's his rugged out – man who wants to help people who wants to get back out there and fight back against the demons he just can't because of her okay so i'll give you another one for her for that strength that you're hitting on i'll normally i'll just say you get another blue blue die and Mm -hmm. i would tell you why but but, that's that's why so i'm mm -hmm. sitting with four blue two yellow a green and i believe from before it's one red two purple 
Correct. All right. How's that sound? Go right ahead. Okay. Let's see what we got here then. All right. Well, if I could roll better, <laughs> it would be good. But all right. So let's see. Let's cancel those. Cancel that. One it, <laughs> dude. This sucks because I failed <laughs> with three advantage. Okay, so he's basically so attracted to the temp female Templar that, uh, in, in typical male fashion, all the words that are coming out of her mouth are mm-hmm. going in one ear and out the other. He didn't hear a word you said. The promise to take care of his kid. He's just watching you move and looking at you lavishly. Okay. In the case of that female Templar, he's not really... Responding too much? Nope. In fact, it could be that another aspect of his personality is coming into play. Which is? I'll spend my his, three his final. I'll spend my three advantage or two advantage his, to know this. His flaw is that he is an old pervert. And not only an old pervert, but a bit of a chauvinist. Oh. So... You're pretty. You shouldn't be talking. <laughs> okay then. Well then we're gonna. So okay then we'll have the um we'll have our our spy here take take over again. Coercion worked, but I'm pretty sure I'm gonna continue with this lie of the deception, and say that my daughter is already at the temple. Your daughter will be well taken care of, and will be just fine. And my daughter will be able to, you know, take care of her, and you know she'll have a new friend. Okay. All right. So, and deceiving so, again. <laughs> all right. Go ahead. Uh, I will right. provide the same amount of boost dice as before. So, grant total of four. Gotcha. All righty. And that's one red, one purple, right? For that, right. I believe. But as your GM, yeah, old Patty, he's got a he's got his eye set on that pretty Templar. Yep. And he's gonna go. I'm gonna go ahead and flip a story point. Because he already has an idea of how he might compromise. Oh, boy. All right. Good thing I have that um, that thing at the beginning of the show. Just Mm -hmm. in case, right? (laughs) All right. Here we go. Okay. So. All right. This is much better. All those blue, blue dice help, dude. There you go. All right. So I got four successes. And... Five advantage. All right, yes. four successes pushes him down to only three strain left. He yeah. is willing to compromise. And yeah. how many advantage? Uh, five, six. All right. Wow. So what yeah. you could do with five advantage, maybe a remark, maybe a critical remark. Oh, yes. Yeah, you um, shut him down immediately because you're you notice what he's looking at, maybe. Yep. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna pretty much shut him down. Some sort of critical remark about him being a and a pervert. Okay. Well, yeah. He eventually, once he realizes that you caught on to what he was starting to think about, mm-hmm. um, he immediately. Oh no, that's not that's not what I was thinking. Oh, you're all wrong. I, 
listen, I'll take you out and we'll go immediately. Just let me pack my bags and let me say goodbye to my daughter. All right. And at that point, the temple guard, the temple guards show up and take his daughter and such, right? Right. All right. So that's a that's our sample social encounter. It was brief. It was kind of, you know, cheesy, but yep. hey, it it covers the base. Yep. And you that's kind of how we that's how that's how you do it. Yep. And that was our first fight club. Yeah. Now remember all everybody out there. First rule fight club. Don't talk about Fight Club. But you can talk about finding a narrative. <laughs> yeah, feel free. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it for Social Encounters for today, man. We've uh, pretty sure much is. covered everything there is to talk about when it comes to running a Social Encounter. If you have any questions, mm-hmm. again, bottom of the show, we'll put out our contact information. Get a hold of us. Yep. Uh, uh, Chris and I will gladly answer them, or I will gladly answer them in the case of Facebook and pass it on to Chris. Sounds good to me. Yeah, and if we did miss something, let us know as well. Yep. And we're not the only experts out there, and I'm sure we're not real experts. <laughs> no, but that was pretty fun. I like that. I like that uh I like that scenario. That was pretty cool. Okay. All right, man. So let's get on to our favorite one. What is it? What? Advantageous threats. All right. All right, here we are. We are back with part three, Advantageous Threats. Okay, so this time, my character... I'm going to go first this time. Okay. So my character, he's... Um, let me think. We're going we're gonna to say that it's... Um, we're setting this in New York City. Around the 20s, 30s, probably Prohibition era. Something like that, right? Okay. I got this guy named Nicky Four Fingers. He's a made man. He wants to figure out. He's heard of this poker game that's being run on his turf. And he's, he needs to figure out where this game is. And like I said, it's New York City. It's January. It's cold. But Nick here needs to turn up the heat. <laughs> so, <laughs> on somebody. So, um,. I'm thinking that his main um, social skill here is going to be coercion. He yeah, beats, he beats down people. He's, he's just going to go somewhere in his um, in on his turf somewhere. Maybe somebody he has a protection racket that he's working. Um, he's going to go try and get some information. See if somebody's heard of this poker game. Well, if you let's say you probably would know about the runner. Okay. Yep. They call he, they call him Tommy Two Steps. Tommy Two Steps. He runs information back and forth, handheld, little notes from place to place. He he has a tendency mm-hmm. to read those notes now and again when he's not supposed to. All right. You know this about Tommy mm-hmm. because you've dealt with Tommy before. Oh yeah. So you immediately know his flaw. <laughs> oh sweet from a previous encounter basically all right good all right so flaw that's kind of a, a minor motivation 
So I'm going to mm. at least get a boost die for that. And I'm thinking, sure. I'm thinking because Nikki here or Nick, Mister Four Fingers here is um, a made man. He's used his. He's he's got a pretty good willpower. I'm thinking it's going to be at least a three. Okay. But his coercion is going to be two. He's he's grown up on the streets. He's tough, and he does use coercion. Okay. Well, Tommy, being that he's uh, run the streets quite a bit, yep. he he isn't uh, he isn't the most willful of people. He's okay. you know a follower, so he's only got a two willpower. All right. But he's used to following in line with what the bosses always say. Cool. So he's got two ranks in discipline. Ooh, so two reds there. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. All right. Um. And yeah, the made man thing definitely give yourself another boost die for that. Okay. That's immediately going to intimidate Tommy because he's used to dealing with made men, and they usually get their way. Yeah, and they don't call Nick Nicky Four Fingers for nothing. He's going to put that four fingered hand on Tommy's shoulder mm. for maybe another boost die, or maybe to activate a talent that. What was that talent? I didn't pick it for him, but he does have it. I don't know if they put it in. Remember, there was one in Star Wars, the Star Wars game, where you can reduce, you could spend strain or something to reduce the difficulty. But that's yeah. okay. He doesn't have it. It's all good. But let's say from before that you have a battle scar. Oh, which is the finger. There you go. That gives the battle scar from before, which is the finger, which gives you boost die and coercion checks. Oh, there we go. That's perfect. <laughs> That's kind of what I was looking for anyway. All right, cool. <laughs> well, since our last session we talked about battle scars, I'm like, hey, there we go. <laughs> That's right. Nicky Four Fingers got his finger shot off. Yep. The last little uh, thing before. Alrighty. So, how's that look? I have two yellow, a green, three blue versus two red. Uh, one last I'm going to give you a black die because uh, what you don't know um, so All right. so what I don't know I don't know that sounds mm-hmm. good to me alright here we go we're going to roll this again on the good book of Genesis let's see what we got dude did not roll a try or a, a setback or a despair I should say but what I did <laughs> so the whatever I don't know I don't know because it came up blank Regardless. Okay. But I got a lot of advantage. One success though. And um one success and six advantage on that roll. Okay. Well, in this case, you were only making a simple check. This was not going to be a full encounter. Right. This is a simple check. You just want one nugget of information you're not mm-hmm. trying to get him to do. What he tells you is that uh Gio, Giacomo Mm-hmm. Another uh, made man is running the poker game. What? And he's running it out of his mother's basement. <laughs> and the reason why you had the black die is because it was versus another made man who made him swear that he wasn't going to tell anybody about the poker game. Nice. So it didn't come into play because he's more afraid of you than he is of Geo. All right. So I'm pretty sure 
I'm going to try and take maybe three or four of these advantage to um, intercept a pizza. The, the, they're going to be delivering. <laughs> they're going to be getting delivery. Some pasta or pizza delivered. And I know where it's coming. I'm inter- intercepting it and I'm going to show up. <laughs> Excellent. So you know the time the pizza's going to, or the, let's, let's say they're getting pasta delivered because that sounds they're appropriate. Getting, getting From a local delivered. restaurant, they got a, in fact, your runner here is on a run to go get it. Nice. Nice. And he's supposed to come back with it and he's supposed to knock on the door a certain way. And you know all that now. Cool. Awesome. All right. So that was it. And then maybe next time we'll go through the uh, round one of that combat encounter, right? <laughs> you walk in with your Tommy gun. Here we go. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. So for mine, I dug back to my old D&D days and rewrote a D&D encounter that I had way back when, when I ran second edition or played. Um, so. My dwarven paladin named Phoenix Thunderhelm Mm -hmm. is leading a squad of elite dwarven warriors known as the Hammers of Clangadin into battle against a tribe of hobgoblin raiders in the tunnels of our mountain complex. The hobgoblins have us pinned in. Behind us, they have a collapsed tunnel. And behind them is a hidden door that we can use to escape. And I must rally my troops to push them so we can flank the dragon all my friends are fighting in the main cavern. Alrighty then. So, this is obviously a leadership check. It sure is. And I need to get these troops rallied. A single check to inspire them to charge through the hobgoblins, get through that secret door, Mm -hmm. and get to the main complex to fight a dragon. Alright, well, how many... Hammers of Clangadin, do you have in your group here? Five. Five? Yeah. I do believe. So that will be an average check. Mm hmm. So that's two to five number of targets. So you want to hit them all. That's Oh, then there's six of them. I want a hard check. You want a hard check. (laughs) So what will, you know what? Let's just make it a nice round, round 10 of these guys. You got, you got, you got, you got almost a a dwarven baker's dozen. Sorry. A dwarven blacksmith dozen. There you go. The blacksmith dozen. Ten of them. Ten of them. (laughs) That's right. So that's going to be a hard check. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. So being a dwarf, I don't have the highest presence. No. (laughs) In fact, it's a two. It is a two. But but because I'm a paladin, I have put some points in leadership. And so I am sitting at three ranks In in leadership. Nice. Which... So in this case, I am getting the, the three the dice, yep. getting the three dice from my skill, from your and my yep. and my upgraded dice. The two that become proficiency are from the attribute. Cool. So two yellow and green, three purple as of right now. Right now, and you know what? I am going to give you a boost die here. Maybe even two, because, dude, they're in your home. Yep. They're hobgoblins, and they're in your home. Take two boost die. Okay. To that. All right. But, I know there's a but here somewhere. Well, of course there's a but here. <laughs> <laughs> These hobgoblins have you out, out, outnumbered like four to one. They're Holy crap. 
and you're There's just forty gonna, of them. You're just getting right. You're just going to wedge through them and go. So okay. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna make that and I'm gonna make that a two two setback day. Okay. To that because you guys are like, what the heck? Mm-hmm. All right, and. There's a dragon on the other side too. There's a, and that was going to be my story point flip <laughs> to justify it um, flipping one to those to a red, bud. <laughs> all right. Because ultimately you're going to go through all of these hobgoblins, but you're going to be fighting a dragon afterwards. So. All right, sounds good. Let's see what we got. So I roll this up, and first thing I notice is that my red die came up blank. Thankfully, oh. yay. No despair for you this week, buddy. <laughs> All right, so I had three successes total and two failures. So that comes out to one success. Okay. And four advantage is my net. Four advantage. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you're definitely going to you're definitely going to um, you succeed in like rallying the elite hammers of Klangadin, for sure. And for my four advantage, what I'd like to do is when we go to charge the hobgoblins, mm-hmm. we are going to catch them by surprise. And our first uh, foray into their ranks is going to be upgraded. Absolutely. That sounds very good to me. Now, in this case... We might want to pull. We might want to use some mass combat rules. Um, I don't think they have anything for that in here in Genesis, do they? No, but we could pull that over from Star Wars if we needed to. We could, um, and it could just be maybe another check or two to kind of get that wedge of dwarves through the hobgoblins. So, whatever that check would be, the next one would be upgraded. I like it. I like it a lot. All right. Well, that was Advantageous Threats. Yeah, man. Yeah, that was good. I like that one, too. Pretty cool. All right. We're ready to wrap this show up, then? Yeah, let's do that, man. All right. All right. So that's our show, folks. Uh... We got uh, you got you got a podcast in the network in the Nerds International Network. You want to shout out to Chris? Yes, I do. I wanna I wanna shout out to those twats, those tabletop twats. That's tabletop twats. Twats? Is it twats? Oh, twats? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. They're from, they're from overseas. They're over. Yeah. They're, they're over the other way. Um. So so the tabletop twats <laughs> are um. It's a podcast. It's a RP. It's a tabletop RPG podcast. All about RPGs, starring three Brits. Nick, who has his very own beard. Congratulations, Nick. (laughs) Harrison, who is part shark, part maid. Not sure what that means. (laughs) And James, who is half gourd, all Asian. (laughs) So they're, um, I think it looks like they just dropped episode 33, called The the Savage Worlds of Solemn Man Kane. (laughs) And on part five of a, they're doing a, um, a DCC... Um, Dungeon Crawl Classics RPG actual play called The Foreign Beggars. And they're out on um, SoundCloud, um, http colon slash slash soundcloud.com slash tabletop dash twats, T W A T S. 
They're on G+, Facebook, iTunes, Podbean. Um, so, yeah. Go on Facebook, they had to become the tabletop T because, uh, well, Facebook wouldn't let them use the other word. What? What? Yeah. Whatever. But, yep, I've been a listener to their show for a long time, a uh, Patreon subscriber. And uh, so the one thing you mentioned, their foreign beggars thing, yeah. for their Patreon subscribers, they have used – all of their Patreon subscribers' names as parts of that Foreign Beggars campaign as either NPCs or in the case of the city that they're from Mm -hmm. is Fanning City. Oh, Mr. Fanning. That is so cool, dude. (laughs) It's a lot of fun to listen to. You guys should give it a listen. Yep. Yeah, man. Yeah, so go check that out, everybody. Yep. And uh, so... Contact us. That's me and Chris at findingthenarrativepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can get a hold of us finding the narrative on Facebook. Well, get a hold of me, and I'll pass it on. Uh, finding the narrative in the Nerds International Network on G Plus. That's with a hyphen. Nerds hyphen International. Yep. Uh, and you listen to us wherever you listen to your podcasts that you love so much. That's right. So, thanks for listening, folks. We'll be a, a bit of a break here as I move to my new home between episodes, but mm-hmm. hopefully we won't be off for too long. Hopefully just a couple, maybe an extra week or so. Sounds good. But until then, this is Tony saying keep rolling them bones. And this is Chris saying remember the rule of cool and just have fun, everyone. Night-night. Night, everybody. Finding a Narrative podcast is not affiliated with or endorsed by any companies mentioned on this show. Any of the products mentioned on our show or appear on our website are the property and copyright of their respected owners. All items are used under fair use and educational and review purposes. All other items are the intellectual property of Finding a Narrative podcast. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.